Hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of November 2022, which means is, of course, no not November. Essentially what that entails is uh, Kyle and I have been reviewing uh, films from the erotic thriller subgenre, uh, specifically American erotic thrillers uh, from the 80s and 90s, uh, what you would call, I guess, the golden age of Hollywood blockbuster erotic thrillers. Uh, so last week, uh, I covered, uh, in a solo review, uh, a not very good film uh, by the name of Sliver, which was Sharon Stone's uh, very next film after the incredibly successful Basic Instinct. Um, but this week, Kyle is once once again back on the show. And uh, Kyle, uh, this week, what film are we going to be talking about? Jade. Uh, this week, we'll be covering Jade from 1995. Uh, as you folks may have noticed that I am back this week, uh, I am no longer master of my domain. Uh, I had to take a couple <laughs> weeks off there, uh, but I'm back. Uh, not nutless, but I'm back. Um, yeah, <laughs> so this is uh, 1995's Jade, directed by William Friedkin. William Freakin' Friedkin. Uh, you may know him as the director of The Exorcist, uh, The French Connection, Cruising. There's probably a couple other things in there. Uh, this is the second movie of his I've seen. I've obviously seen The Exorcist, uh, which is a sexual thriller in its own way, I suppose, but uh, <laughs> in a different way. Uh, but yeah, this movie fucking sucks, dude. I'm sorry. And let me f fully disclose, um, there are two reasons why I picked this one as part of the uh, sexual thrillers. One... Uh, I'm on the hunt for a movie that I saw a piece of when I was probably about 9 or 10. And uh, I, I can't really describe exactly what the movie was, but I just remember seeing a scene. And there was like a green hue to this scene. And it was like, like a guy was just saying like, yeah, I think he kind of knew about me hooking up with this one chick. And for some reason, I thought it might be this this movie. Um and I'm like, maybe I think it might be Jade, and I, I'll watch it. I think it might be that movie. It's not. But the other reason why I picked this was that, do you remember that scene in The 40-Year-Old Virgin where he's like, I need to act like somebody. He's like, act like David Caruso in Jade. And he's like, I know exactly what you're talking about. So I thought that this was, I thought that this was more culturally significant for the time. Like, maybe it was a bigger deal. Uh, but after watching it and seeing the Ebert review, I don't think this was that big a deal and nor should it have been yeah uh, this is an odd one uh so i talked about this during my solo reviews this month uh because i had very little else to talk about uh, being <laughs> as sliver wasn't a very good film but um i was having fun kind of tracing the trajectory of of the success of the erotic thriller subgenre during this this period of hollywood history and a lot of signs point to basic instinct uh, Paul Verhoeven and uh, Sharon Stone and Michael Douglas, that film kind of being the pinnacle, at least in terms of mainstream success. Like critically, I don't know if that was a beloved film, especially at the time. Uh, I know there were a lot of, you know, more puritanical groups that probably viewed that as like the devil's work or something. But it made all the money. It made so much money, um, and it was a big success for everyone involved. Um, kind of no matter how you slice it. 
And that came out in 1992. Sliver, as I said at the top of this discussion, was Sharon Stone's very next film, also an erotic thriller. Um, and it was, it paled in comparison. And I, what what I'm pointing to here is I want to say Basic Instinct was kind of the, the, the top of the wave and that started to crest after that. So here we are in 1995, two years after Sliver, and I think I think we're kind of on our way out with with the success of the erotic thriller, um, and yeah, uh, I was kind of fooled by that line, uh, that really awesome sequence in the forty year old version. Yeah. I was I was I was fooled by that into thinking maybe it was more culturally significant than it was as well, because that that scene in that movie is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of what makes it hilarious, I guess, is like David Caruso's acting method in general, if you emulate it, is just always going to be kind of funny. I don't think of him as a very good actor in most regards. Um, but the other part of it, I guess, is the novelty factor of you and I having not seen the film. And now that we see where that, that character interpretation came from, it's like, oh, they they borrowed from that? Yeah. But then again, you need to think of the people who made the forty-year-old version. Yeah. A lot of them are probably movie nerds who would who would actually bother to see movies like that. <laughs> well, it would make more sense in Knocked Up, where they're doing the uh, the database, like the Mister Skin database, basically, because this is like Linda Fiorentino, fifty-five minutes in, <laughs> you get to see her ass or her boobs. Um, yeah, no, this is. Uh, this is underwhelming to say the least, uh, and I mentioned this off the air. Uh, this is every time I've seen Linda Fiorentino, it is awkwardly sexual. Like there's always something very strange sexually happening with her character in a film. Um, and I got to tell you, so some of this cast, real quick, like you said, David Caruso, who looks—I don't know why—I think Danny Elfman when I see him. By the way, Danny Elfman is looking terrifying these days. He is aging into. I don't know what he's aging into, but he's terrifying. Um, <laughs> Pennywise the Clown. <laughs> oof, man. Uh, yeah, David Caruso, Linda Fiorentino, Chaz Palminteri, who is inching his way to Fast and the Furious poster for me, because I have yet to see, <laughs> I've yet to see him in a film that I enjoy. <laughs> he's never, he never is in a movie I enjoy. He always sticks out. He's like a cartoon character Italian-American. Like, he always is just that. And he's never not that. And he sticks out like a sore thumb in this. He didn't go to law school. He didn't graduate high school. I'm telling you. Those are the characters he should be playing. He mastered in uh, shoulder hiking. Yeah. And talking with your hands. <laughs> having ever, ever so arching eyebrows all the time. Uh, yes, those are our main <laughs> characters in this film. We also have uh, Angie Everhart, uh, Richard Crenna, who I believe is from Rambo? Correct. Rambo. Uh, Buddy Joe Hooker. I wrote that down, but I don't think he's actually anybody. Uh, and this movie helps solidify my theory. Michael Bean with a mustache is always evil. And this Oh, he's up to no good. <laughs> if, if he's got a, if he's got any sort of facial hair going, he is up to no good. <laughs> he is the villain. He is the uh, villain mustache actor. If he has a mustache, he is a bad guy. Maybe uh, they're two different people. Maybe it's mere dimension uh, Michael Bean and normal Michael Bean. It's possible. Uh, and then one actor who I wish was in this a little bit more more uh, is it? It's Holt McCallany. Is that how you say his last name? McClaney? those particular consonants and vowels strung together are always very difficult to pronounce. Yeah. I believe that is how you say his name. But yeah, your boy Holt is in this film. Mm-hmm. 
uh, early in his career, but um, he's one of those faces that I don't know, like if he auditions really well or if he knew all the right people or something. But the 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 caliber of directors that he has worked with over the years are incredible. Like he's really in good with David Fincher. Um, and I mean, he's in Alien Three in a, a You're right. borderline nonverbal role, but he's he's in there. And then, of course, he shows up in that Mindhunter show uh, years down the road. He does give a battle rape cry, very strange, in, in Alien Three. <laughs> it's the only <laughs> way I could describe his his noise, and it's very strange. Um, yeah, so I, I I'm just gonna read the IMDb plot summary. I feel like that's the best way to talk about it. And like I said, like we said at the top, neither one of us particularly cared for this. Probably gonna Monday morning quarterback this a little bit. Probably talk about some tropes, but we're probably not gonna go through this front to back. But a bright assistant district attorney investigates a gruesome hatchet murder and hides a clue he found at the crime scene. Under professional threats and an attempt to end his life, and an attempt on his life, he goes on heartbroken because evidence points to the woman he still loves imdb i didn't understand a goddamn word you just said <laughs> i mean i like completely tuned out <laughs> yeah well i guess we should start with this is uh I, I can't think of any other movies off the top of my head but i'm sure you could uh this is one of those movies where we have a person who's not a cop acting like a cop kind of like jamie fox and law-abiding citizen where he takes on like a a cop hat, but I'm like, he's just a lawyer. He's, he's an assistant, yeah. assistant DA in that in that movie. Um, here we have an assistant DA who's acting like a private detective nearly. Uh, who's obstructing a crime scene also, by the way. <laughs> it's a big oh, no-no, like dude. Blatantly. <laughs> yeah. Like blatantly from, from like real one. He's already trampling all over the law. And it's like, mm. dude, you're really, you're just really bad at your job, man. <laughs> Let, let's do talk about something exciting before we start talking about the film. The score, the music in this movie. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, please. I, I know you you got to talk about it. I, I do. Um, actually, uh, in Kyle's absence, um, if anybody bothered to listen to those episodes where I talked to myself with myself, um, I, I found the easiest way for me to get through talking about, especially in the case of Sliver, a bad movie, um, was using using the people involved as as a framework to just like bounce into whatever aspect of the film jumped out at me or felt lacking or whatever um but i'm really sh i'm really happy to hear you mention the score um because that is one thing that makes itself known immediately in this yes. film um <laughs> um but it's also a little bit complicated um so the score for this film is done by james horner um who you may know uh, as the composer of aliens and Titanic, and I believe Braveheart, and uh, Glory. Um, he he has passed away, um, but in his time, in his day, he uh, he put out some bangers. Uh, he he was a, an incredible composer. He gave us a lot of wonderful stuff. Made extensive use of like human voices, like choirs and whatnot, and that's present in this score. Um, Glory makes liberal use of it as well. Titanic, Braveheart, especially. Um, this one though. Uh, samples uh some uh classical music um some stravinsky um i forget the name of the piece but i've actually had the privilege of hearing it because i had a cool teacher 
in grade school who exposed us to a lot of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I thought you um, said exp- I had a teacher who exposed us to that kind of stuff. <laughs> Whoa, <Joey. laughs> It is erotic thriller month after all. Um, <laughs> Jesus. I think <laughs> I think it's like the the rite of spring or something. But the uh, the very loud booming piece of music that's it's like it's it's cacophonous and, and almost like dissonant at times. The the piece that plays during the opening, you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Where we're stalking the halls and it, it intensifies with irre- like in these irregular sequences. That's actually not an original composition. That's that's Stravinsky. Um, but Horner kind of builds around the score. Like he builds that as like a centerpiece for like some of the major motifs in the score. He also incorporates a lot of, uh, playful and mysterious, uh, vaguely Asian flutes, Mm -hmm. Um, which being as the film is called Jade and we do a lot of business in Chinatown in this film, I can see why they did that. Doesn't exactly work for me. It feels borderline disrespectful at times, but it is nice to listen to. Yeah, we do get some vaguely Asian in this movie. Um, yeah, so where do you want where do you want to start with this? Uh, well, if you don't mind, I think I'm going to continue the trend because, like I said, this this was a godsend to me when I was talking about Sliver because that is a nothing fucking movie. But this is even more of a nothing fucking movie. Mm-hmm. Like Sliver is just not good. Jade, I want to say, is straight up bad. Yeah. Um, and that's painful to say because, as Kyle said, this is directed by William Friedkin who has directed some truly incredible films. Um, Sorcerer is one that Kyle didn't mention that is underseen, but I happen to like it quite a lot. Um, and in a lot of ways, I feel like he's a he was an odd choice for this one, but I want to say he picked this film. Um, but like what I was getting at is, I, I think talking about the people involved and then using them as a jumping off point to talk about the movie and their contributions to it or lack thereof might be a good place. So okay. how about we start with Friedkin? So like let's let's talk like direction and 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 things like that because the reason I say I think he's an odd choice for this one is that it it's a movie that leans seems like it wants to lean into like stylism. Like like I feel like Joel Schumacher could have done this really well honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I think like lots right. of mood lighting, lots of Dutch angles, lots of swooping camera movements. Lots of mood lighting, that kind of shit. But when I think William Friedkin, I think documentarian. Hmm. Like, I, a lot of the movies I've seen of his, like Sorcerer and even The Exorcist, kind of has a little bit of a fly-on-the-wall kind of feel to it, hmm. where it's just like you're an observer. You're just watching, as crazy as things get in The Exorcist, the way it's shot is very seldom exploitative it's just kind of like that happened we were in the room with the priest when it happened and that's that's what it was we just observed a crazy thing happening it's not like the cinematography and the lighting are are dialed up to 11 to support the craziness or something and sorcerer kind of takes that to an extreme to the point that a lot of audiences i don't think can stomach that movie because it's procedural to the extreme where it is grueling to watch because it's it's logistics the motion picture and i can totally see why that didn't resonate with audiences at the time whereas this film it's like we have a little bit of police procedural but that it's so surface level like we never really get into the nitty-gritty we don't get we don't get into the fun bits of like 
jargon and and you know talking shop and stuff like i i I don't mind if a movie runs away from me and leaves me hanging as to like exact the particulars of what's being expressed it's like if if the actors know what they're expressing if the if the people in the fiction of the universe understand each other then it's up to me to kind of suss out the details and participate as a viewer. That doesn't bother me, but this one is very flimsy in, from a writing standpoint. Well, well, this doesn't have an identity. Like, it's not really a yeah. sexual thriller. It's like we're we're kind of under the guise of a sexual thriller, but it's not really a detective story because it's a DA, and we kind of know as the viewer, like, it's either the governor or fucking uh, Chaz Palminteri. Those are the two people this could be. Who could else could it possibly be? And it's basically those two people in one way or another at the end of it. So it's like it's not really a mystery. There's there's no new characters. You the red herrings are just right like easy to pick up. Like it, there's there's not much of that. Um, it's not really about the characters because they're the relationship of these three characters is so shallow. It's just like we're kind of friends from undergrad or law school or something like that. We don't really explore that weird little love triangle, uh, but it's there. It's in the movie. Um, and then it's not really, uh, it's not a thriller because we have like one little chase. And I, I think that's, I mean, that's it. We have one little chase in the movie. And then the sexual component, it's not even really taboo. Like the, it reminds me of the general's daughter a little bit. Like, where they were trying to do, yeah, it, yeah, you're making a face. You're wincing for a reason because that movie is it's bad but even yeah it is (laughs) but the sexual element in this is useless it's needless like there's no real point to the infidelity or anything like that like it's just kind of an afterthought it just there's just no real identity to the film i you kind of nailed the you kind of hit on the head there because uh it does feel like that where we never lean into any one thing hard enough to really give the film anything like any sort of distinctive qualities and you're up what was really shocking about this one is like it really isn't an erotic thriller it's classified as one for sure um it's advertised as one Uh, i mean all you have to do is look at the poster where presumably linda fiorentino or at least her body double is sitting on top of somebody <laughs> with is, her back to the camera it is one of the best I, I don't want to call it a trolling but it's kind of fun it's like one of those like you see that photo and like for those who don't know the movie just think that it's the post like it's just the the, the cover of the film those of us that have seen it were like damn <laughs> that's the photo you went with for this like okay that's kind of that's the coolest thing about the movie is the poster i hate to say it but it kind of is yeah. <laughs> it's it's certainly the hottest thing about the movie because this is not a hot film it doesn't have hot fire uh to quote throw mama from the train well maybe (laughs) maybe this movie was trolling us like there is definitely nudity in this and it's it's maybe he's just throwing it back in our faces like oh you want a sexual thriller it's like i'm gonna give you nudity but you're not gonna enjoy it not like in basic instinct uh that might be something like you may be onto something there that goes way over my head and it is it is you're reaching but you might be digging in the wrong place not like those nazis in raiders of the lost ark (laughs) 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 Um, your buddy sala has put you on the right path um what i'm getting at is you're kind of onto something with that because there is a recurring element with the nudity in this where we we very seldom see it play out live in front of us the viewer it's mm-hmm. through a filter yeah 
it's either through a photograph like after the fact or like scrambled video footage after the fact so it's like it's like a a weird third third person perspective that we get on on the actual nudity we do get like a couple of sex scenes one of which is really embarrassing and sad (laughs) Um, and one of which that's strange and uncomfortable so you might be onto that like there may be something to the story that isn't expressed clearly at all that maybe that's part of the director's intent with how the the sexuality is expressed in the film because the the uh, the sad sex sequence is where chaz palmentary um has his way with linda fiorentino and we get some tears on her part and he's a he's i think it's two pumps Mm. He starts moaning from insertion, Ooh. and I think it's two pumps, and and he collapses in a heap on top of her. Yeah, it is sad, and she's um, crying, and, then, and it's not from gagging. <laughs> Sorry to be yeah, so crass. I mean, there's 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 nothing wrong with coming early. That happens to everybody. It's yeah. a thing. But but the sad part is the fact that nobody's having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what i'm getting at there I'm, I'm, <laughs> but then the other one is we we get to see linda fiorentino um in a, involved in a tryst um she she's uh having sex with a guy and then she flips out she flips out on him halfway through and starts slapping him pretty savagely and then just leaves so yeah. it's like she was having a good time and then decided part way through I'm not having a good time. Not, yeah. <laughs> I'm having a good time. <laughs> not. Um, can we talk about David? Let's talk about David Caruso's character. Let's just talk about him as an actor sure. and as the character. Um, I've sure. never let's seen work him. Our way down. I've never seen him in anything uh, all the way through. I tried watching Session Nine. Uh, it was a USA horror movie, and it looks like it's right up my alley, but there's something about it that I was just disengaged with. I would like to try to go back and watch it, because I've heard it's it's got some legitimate creepy stuff going on. But I, I think he's also a huge player in, like, CSI or some kind of, like, CBS crime show, apparently. Um, this is the only movie I've ever seen him in, and he is a weird-looking guy. Yeah, he he is not a conventioning conventional leading man handsome uh i have seen session nine uh my brother matt actually recommended that to me when it was new Mm. uh when it was relatively new it so many years have passed that it's probably lost some of its juice um but i I will admit it's it is legitimately unsettling at times it's very scaled back um Mm. it's a it's a nice psychological horror film uh it's well put together it accomplishes quite a lot with nothing with absolutely nothing and it also gave us one of the greatest camera shots and line deliveries in cinema history which i wouldn't mind if you put on your your soundboard at some point kyle basically the camera slams uh up into david caruso's face as he points a finger to somebody and says hey fuck you <laughs> it's, uh, I'm it's just, fuck you. <laughs> uh, I apologize. I have seen First Blood. I don't remember him in it, and I have. Uh, seen... He's he's the he's like the deputy who's like cleaning him up when when John Rambo first oh, gets to the station. Shave him dry. He's one of the cops. Yeah. Okay. He's he's the kind of borderline friendly one. Okay. Uh, and then I have seen The King of New York, but again, I do not remember him at all in that movie. Um. This is my first real exposure to him. Uh, yeah, uh, the main thing with him is that he's 
primarily a television actor because mm-hmm. one thing kids out there if, if there are any younger folks out there listening to this tv actor used to be kind of like a an albatross around your neck like these days tv is where it's at like like having a streaming show that never fucking ends is the best thing you can have as an actor um but in in this era in in like the 80s and 90s if you were quote relegated to television there was like a kind of a glass ceiling type effect where it's like you're you don't belong in film Mm -hmm. like you're a tv guy or a tv gal you're not come you don't play in hollywood like the rest of us and that's kind of been his lot as far as i know this was like a a big step for him because uh my mom uh watched a lot of nypd blue um i'm pretty sure he was a lot of moms watch it. A lot of moms, yeah, and dads. Uh, yeah. Jimmy Smith's man. He he worked for a lot of people. <laughs> I was gonna say uh, Dennis Franz. Yeah, I mean you could put him on, and your dad would always be much better looking after that. It's like, oh honey, you're good tonight because I've been looking at Dennis Franz for fucking thirty goddamn minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty sure you got to see his ass on that show at oh. some point, or at, least, or at least in that uh, City of Angels movie. Uh, I know he goes swimming in the in like in the ocean, just uh, naked at I'm, one point. I'm, assu- I'm assuming he's just got like a pimply, flat white dude butt. It's just yeah. If you Google Hank Hill's butt, from King <laughs> it's of the probably Hill, the same. It's the same. <laughs> it's exactly the same. I'll put on my safe search um, for that. But, <clears throat> But yeah, David Caruso came from NYPD Blue. I'm pretty sure his his time on that show was like expiring. Um, so this was like a really big opportunity for him. It didn't work out. Um, this movie didn't really do anyone any favors. In fact, it probably crashed a lot of their stocks, to be honest. Um, but in his case, he would flounder for a long time. And you're absolutely right. CSI Miami, um, he became a fucking meme. Uh, like the the pulling the sunglasses off and saying a stupid pun oh, okay. is and followed by the the who <laughs> that that's him that's uh, him i was wondering what happened to linda fiorentino she hasn't been in a movie since 2009 uh and she yes. had a hiatus for seven years before that so she was from 2002 and then 2009 and then nothing since then um but yeah so his his character in this like i said he is a district attorney assistant da who is acting like a he's acting like a detective or like a private detective like it, that's his thing in this um he's in a weird love triangle with uh the names are Gavin and uh Trina but it's Linda and Chaz this i this is a TV and movie trope where it's we used to date or we at least we had like something like a little fling or something and now i'm married to your best friend but we're all still really close friends it's very strange that doesn't work it it doesn't work absolutely (laughs) does not work it never works um yeah you gotta cut that shit out like like no we can't have you hanging around here buddy like like I, i put a ring on it it's like we are we are fucking for real and god is okay with it now like, 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 if there's an understanding now, get out of here, David Caruso. Well, well, it's almost as if, like, during this movie, like, he was acting, and but he didn't know what the plot was going to be because we never really get a sense of what's happening from him because he's he's interjected himself into this crime scene. Like, he immediately he finds a, a little cufflink. Uh, it's like a little anchor cufflink underneath the bed. And this uh, cop lady who has the worst hairdo 
I don't know why she has this hairdo in the 90s. This is this is the hairdo that the dean's <laughs> wife had in fucking Animal House. But she's in like 1995 with this thing. He just, he picks up a cufflink. He doesn't put it in his own pocket. He gets the cop lady to put it in her pocket and hold it for him. Why that happens, I don't know. But you, so go ahead. So I'm, I'm going to jump in real quick and point out that um, this movie went through significant rewrites. Shocker. Um, one of the major personalities that I have talked about for two weeks straight now um, that's involved in this production is the writer, Joe Esterhaus. Um, who's kind of the the king of of this era of erotic thriller? He also wrote Showgirls, by the way. Um, so if it was smutty and was you know a high profile script in Hollywood in the eighties or nineties, it was probably penned by him. Um, apparently, Friedkin like mangled the script and like contorted it into something presumably more palatable, uh, especially because I know Linda Fiorentino had issues with her characterization in the film. Um, so very similar to Sliver, I have to assume the movie probably like limped across the finish line, like as, as kind of a, a crippled beast. Um, so it, there's a lot of drop threads in this movie. There's a lot of stuff hanging around that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I want to say maybe there was supposed to be a stronger connection between the, the detective woman and, and David Caruso's character, because they do have like a, a, tension between the two of them but but none of their scenes add up to anything and you you said kind of casually offhand a phrase that i think it hadn't occurred to me but i think it makes the most sense actually is that you said david caruso is like walking through this movie like he doesn't know what's happening and i think that might be true like i think as an actor he may have been lost because the script was broken and maybe he like from scene to scene, he didn't understand wh- why he was being asked to do the things he was doing. I, I know for a fact Michael Bean has gone on record saying that. Michael Bean is not afraid to shit on pretty much anybody because he's Michael fucking Bean. And if he's if he is conducting an interview whilst boasting a mustache, he's gonna be sour. Like yeah. <laughs> it's just gonna happen. Like, um, but he said like he said he he was clueless as to what was going on. He was like nobody fucking knew what they were doing on that film. He's like, I've been in some of James Cam- James Cameron's best films. I'll shit on you because I can get work still. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll see if I can get work still. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, he even shat on the uh, Aliens Colonial Marines uh, video game developers because yeah. they brought him in to do voice work, and he was like, "I disagree with everything you're doing. Stop it. <laughs> stop it. <laughs> like, I'll take your money and I'll get in that booth, but stop it." <laughs> yeah, because he. It doesn't make sense from the beginning that he's basically. It would make more sense if he was like trying to control the case, but he is like fighting to stay on the case. I think he, like, he has a meeting with the governor. He's like, "Look, governor, we've got these uh, picks with you with a hooker," and the governor's like, "I will ruin your fucking life if you stay on this case." And he's like, "Okay." Then he tells his boss, "I'm gonna stay on this case, or I'm gonna ruin the governor's life," and he kind of just follows along with this case and it kind of just leads to uh linden uh to trina just kind of with not in no shocking way it's just like it's her she's jade i think she's jade i'm pretty sure she's jade oh she's jade <laughs> spoiler <laughs> yeah, the, the there is no mystery component no. of this film and no. by the time you get to the resolution it's it's insulting 
It's like, what what the fuck was this? Like, I, st- what, I still don't know if Sharon Stone was the killer in Basic Instinct. I don't know. She might have been. I think so. I think maybe that was the last shot. But I'm like, I don't know if she's the killer. That's a real mystery. I think I think the last shot of that film is meant to clue you in on the fact that she did it. Um, I a lot of like Roger Ebert thought that that was clumsy, like akin to the the rat walking across the guardrail in a or the handrail. Just watched it. In, I loved uh, it. The Departed. <laughs> Um, he th- like he thought it was clunky in the same way as that was, where it's a, it's a little on the nose. Um, but I I quite liked it. I thought the end of Basic Instinct worked out, where it's like you know what, all of her emotions make sense in this moment, where it's like she's happy, but really doesn't want to be. <laughs> it's like God, his dick is just so good. <laughs> uh, well, something I think would have been interesting with this was like make David like make his character David more obsessed with her. Like, they're literally just kind of decent, like, almost like old friends. Like, literally, when they go to the house to, he's like, listen, we're going to have an interview with the cops tomorrow. Like, we're going to come to the apartment. And she just gives him a kiss on the cheek like they're old friends. Like, it's very cordial. Even Gavin is just like, all right, like, we're going to do this. It's going to be civil. Like, there's this nice relationship. Like, make him a creep. Make him, like, trying to, like, go ahead, go for it. Oh, uh, you're you're starting to probe territory that I think is worth exploring because okay. the movie didn't bother to. Yeah. Um, so there's a recurring thing with uh, Linda Fiorentino with Trina's character, and apparently the original script had her as like a prostitute when she's in her Jade persona, but they had they had mm. that changed at her request. Um, she's like a a psych doctor, like mm-hmm. she's a psychiatrist or something, um, and and at one point in the film she gives a talk. Uh, talking about at the place where Nick Cage squeezes that girl's ass and face off. I'm pretty sure it's the same place. <laughs> pretty sure it's the same building, Kyle. It's all I could sure. think of I'm when glad, I saw it. I'm glad you noticed the the ceiling pattern uh-huh. of the glass. It, it looks very similar. Oh, that scene <laughs> sticks with you. You don't. You can't erase that. It sticks with you. But, sorry. Please continue. <laughs> Rock and roll priest. <laughs> um. Yeah, so she gives a talk, and she starts talking in very loose terms about what sounds like DID, like dissociative identity disorder or something. And they use this term that doesn't sit well with me, hysterical blindness. Um, The blindness seems to not not be speaking to sight, rather just like consciousness, I guess. Um, But that there's repetition of that, like there as a film, it's trying to hammer that into your head as something you need to carry with you throughout the film. But it never contributes anything, Mm-mm. even in terms of the Jade characterization, where the whole idea is, like like Kyle said, it is that fucking clunky, where it's like, I think she's Jade. Yep, she's Jade. And that, that's kind of it. Yeah. Or, or it's like, yes, I, just like we thought, everything is as it is. Um, what would have been interesting is if they had gone the route that you're suggesting, which they did not where maybe all the talk that she's giving isn't in reference to her behavior, it's in reference to his. Yes, yes. Maybe maybe he's a little too obsessed with her, mm. and it's interfering with his ability to function. Like, like maybe he's misremembering events or blacking out and doing things that or chasing people that aren't actually need, needing to be chased. Or maybe he's carrying out murders because he's going through instances of hysterical blindness and he can't remember it. Well, there's even that moment where he, he gave the cuffling to the lady cop and then she talks about it with him later. And then there's a scene near the end where he's got the cufflink. I'm like, wait, did he have the other cufflink? 
like, is he the one that murdered the person? So it was, I don't know if I just missed that she gave it back to him or if they were trying to mess with you, like maybe trying to uh, say that, oh, maybe he's the one that killed uh, the guy. Who, who, the guy was just a millionaire? I don't really that know. That was my understanding. Yeah. Like, we never really get to know him other than he was a rich pervert. Yeah. That's kind of it. Yeah. Um, but that that scene was funny to me because she's asking him about the cufflink and what's funny about it is like as i'm I'm talking to kyle here and we're kind of having fun bouncing theories off of each other it's like his response is like i can't tell you right now it's like the actual reason is because they haven't right they haven't haven't finished writing those pages yet (laughs) they haven't written it yet so i can't really tell you but yeah, I, I just can't really tell you that now. <laughs> he's got legit creep face. Like I said, he looks kind of like Danny Elf, but I'm like, he could easily play just a fucking creepy ass dude who's obsessed with this woman. His his uh his best friend's wife, who they were all friends, like were all friends in law school or undergrad, whatever it was supposed to be. Also, is Chas Palminteri? Uh, is his character? He's a lawyer. Clearly, is he the most successful lawyer in the history of lawyers? Because they have this mansion in Los, in uh, I think it's San Francisco where this is supposed to take place. Yeah, yeah. Holy Jesus! She's on a private jet at one point. <laughs> He's not Alan Dershowitz. Even Alan Dershowitz couldn't afford this shit. No, their living room looks like Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> it looks like Lucy's house. <laughs> it's nuts. Um, it's but yeah, he is supposed to be wildly successful, um, and. His characterization was very odd to me because yes. I I am not used to seeing Chaz Palminteri framed as quote handsome Mm-mm. or quote good. Mm-mm. Like like Kyle said, he is he is one of the, the single most typecast actors of his era. Like, Dude, like he's unfortunately pigeon. Big Pussy has a better chance of not being typecast than Chaz Palminteri. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, even uh, even the I mean fellow castmate uh the fellow who played a uh, jelly in uh analyze this uh, oh. he got to be a funny irishman in uh what was it shallow Howl. uh that was kind of fun stevie van, <laughs> stevie van sant is a guitarist for fucking uh bruce springsteen he was in the sopranos he got done with sopranos and they're like why don't you go to the fucking uh norway and uh Go be a fucking mobster. They're like, go over there and do a mobster show. Have you, uh, kill, I can't remember what it's called. Maybe it's like Kilkenny or something like that where he he's a, a mobster or at least an Italian-American uh, who goes to some Scandinavian country and he like smuggled – there's a scene where he like smuggled a gun over there and there's like a problem with wolves but the country, they don't have, uh, they don't have guns. So he's just like, here, you can have this. You can shoot the wolves with it. It's like he, he couldn't he couldn't shake it at all, and he's a he's a guitar player, um, but yeah, there was a missed opportunity there. Uh, it, it he just does not do this character well with David Caruso. Like I don't really I know they're supposed to be buddies, but I, you don't really feel like they were buddies. Like they seem like two entirely different people. Well, I mean. I, I do think you're right that David Caruso often reads as creepy. Like, I, I am in agreement about that. I've always felt that he carries an odd energy to him. My you mom some, thought that, too. Like, like You put Dahmer glasses on him, he looks like Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, he, he does have that kind of 
that kind of face shape to him. But like, I remember my mom saying that like, in remember this was back in the NYPD blue days. Like she had friends who thought he was hot stuff and she was like, Oh, absolutely not. Jimmy <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. Jimmy Switz all the way. I mean, shit. That's, that's the eye candy from that show for crying out loud. That. And then, um, yeah. uh, Dennis France. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so Chaz, his character. So he is, uh, I think he's a private attorney. He's not, uh, he's not a district attorney. He's just a, just a regular old attorney. Um, he's cheating on Linda Fiorentino, but it's, it's, it doesn't really matter much. Oh, it does. I'm sorry. It actually does really matter at the end of the movie for no fucking reason. Um, but yeah, he's just a fucking lawyer, and that's his whole thread in this. That's it. Yeah, he kind of dips in and out of the film from time to time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's underdeveloped and also just oddly cast. Like I said, yeah. I, he's not one of those people. Like, both of our male leads, honestly. It's like, neither of these guys I think of as being, like, smoldering, handsome, leading men types. Like, Chaz Palminteri, I hate to say it, he's usually typecast correctly yes (laughs) Um, as far as i understand he has a fairly limited skill set joe montagna on the other hand is very capable of doing other things he probably would have worked a little better for me and they you know that that probably would have worked out better but david caruso also just has an odd creepiness to him that if you had played into that maybe would have made for you know something like some some form of interest or, or or intrigue that that would have elevated the film a little bit but as it stands it's like everybody seems to be trying but nobody seems to know what they're being asked to do so everybody's just kind of floundering and even linda fiorentino like they don't go far enough like i said this is not a very erotic film uh there's only a handful of sex scenes and almost all of them are uncomfortable yeah (laughs) Um, and the case of her character, because she has, because it's revealed she has like full agency over all of her actions, like maybe there is some shock factor in that she's a promiscuous woman in the 90s or something, but it doesn't go much deeper than that, honestly. Okay, let's talk about her real quick, because are you sure she has agency over all, over her actions? Because there's a weird thing that she does, so... They have, they end up finding, uh, so this millionaire that got murdered, he's murdered at his house, but they also find at his other, like some other house on the cliff, I guess it was what David Caruso calls the fuck house. It's a fuck house. Um, she, that's a direct quote. That's folks. a direct <laughs> quote. It's a fuck house. Um, <laughs> She, they find a video of her. She says she's never been there, but then they find this video of her banging some dude there, and she like kind of falls off the bed, like she's drugged almost. And then later, when she's hooking up with that dude, she also kind of does like a topple over, like she's drugged. Did you catch that? Mm. I did. the The video footage confused me mm-hmm. because there's an obvious edit there. Yeah. Where they go from, like, in the throes of passion to she's, like, on her back on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, how, how do we get here? Um, and then they resume once they're on the floor. But um, I guess you could read that as her, like, snapping back to herself, like, mm-hmm. mid-coitus or something. Yeah, I thought it was strange. Um, Richard Critta. I want to talk about him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I wish there was more of him in here because this scene that he has with David is pretty great. Uh, the way he kind of just oh, dresses him down without dressing him down, it's pretty effective. I thought it was it was pretty so, pretty impressive. 
so we did talk about how the script was ripped apart and slapped back together with you know some scotch tape i'm pretty sure every line richard krenna has in this film is from the joe esterhaus original mm. um, because it, he he's just a potty-mouthed machine mm-hmm. like, like everything that comes out of his mouth is pure esterhaus where i have some quotes here one hairy little pussy and a thimble full of sperm yeah <laughs> it's like, it would be a shame if the government of california came down because of that and i do the fucking I'd never get fucked. <laughs> yeah, I think you're absolutely right because I forgot about that. I'm like, I had to like, I had to look up for my. I'm like, what did you just say? Did he say one hairy little pussy? Whoa, whoa, is that... <laughs> What is your imagine major... him talking like that in Rambo Three? <laughs> <laughs> Brian Denny, he would have slapped it. <laughs> we don't talk oh, like shit. that down here. <laughs> yeah, Washington State. Fuck. Um, yeah, uh, I. I really enjoyed Richard Crenna in this for all the wrong reasons. Yes, um, but it's funny his his dialogue feels a lot like a uh, again same writer uh, Robert Davi's dialogue from Showgirls. I haven't watched um, Showgirls. Just, I haven't watched it yet. It's a fun one, man. I like it is trashy as all hell, but it is a Paul Verhoeven film, so it it has it has quality to it that you you won't find from just any filmmaker. It is straight up trash but it, it is it's it, it's good bad like it's top shelf good bad cinema okay um elizabeth berkeley uh <laughs> she uh she has a hilarious little role in a, in a movie called the first wives club i i love it love bet midler it's a lot of fun it's a 90s movie you should check it out you'll have a lot of fun with it goldie hawn great but she plays a character in there, and she's pretty funny. Uh, highly recommend you check that one out. First Wives Club. Um, yeah, so let's talk about Angie Everhart and this character. Um, did you catch there was a certain line in this that was kind of crazy? So they're trying to track and figure out who the girl in the tape was, uh, or in the, in the photos were, and they're like, it's this one girl, she's a prostitute. She was picked up for soliciting underage when she was 17. And I'm like, why is it not... She was a minor prostitute. What what happened to the dude that that she was soliciting? It's such an insane thing. It's such an insane thing to write into this movie. Well, I did point out who wrote this film. Um, he does seem to have a fairly dim view of the you know the females of society. <laughs> that is pretty. That is pretty dim and dark. If that's the way you're gonna frame it. Um, yeah, he he does seem to have that approach to things. Um, I will point out that when they take her in um, for this interrogation room is a dungeon, questionably designed. Yeah, it's it's literally a dungeon, and there's somebody there's <laughs> with a like exposed piping, exposed piping, and then so, there's a gun range next to it. Like somebody's shooting a gun and like in the hall, basically. It's very yeah, yeah. but dude, this monologue dump that like she just spews like it is terribly delivered and it is basically she's saying that i'm a hooker i think she says i had to go to this house sometimes and bang people i think she says she's not really into guys but then she's like but the guys didn't want me as much as they wanted this girl named jade um they tried to uh try to have sex with me and uh, i didn't want to do it a certain way but they're like jade does it every single way so i'm just like Jade does anal. That's the whole thing. That's 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 the big thing. 
It was the mid '90s, Kyle. It was it was inconceivable. <laughs> Do it in the butt. Yeah, um, <laughs> it was inconceivable. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, um, th- this is a, a a phenomenon that happens from time to time. I think things have changed up a little bit in Hollywood to the point that you don't see this as often, but. Every so often, like there's this thing that happens where people try to write things that they don't know about mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or they don't have much actual experience in. So this seems like an instance of like Mr. Esterhaus writing like, huh, I have a scene where I have to write about a, a woman who works in, in who is a sex worker who is complimenting a fellow sex worker who also happens to be a woman, a very hot woman. It's like, how would I put this dialogue together? It's like, this was his approximation of what this sort of story would sound like. <laughs> it's, it's incredibly clunky and feels like something that you would publish in like a Playboy magazine or something. Like it, it feels like it's meant to be titillating. And I do think that maybe William Friedkin was somewhat aware of this because we do the basic instinct thing where she's telling this all to an entire room full of old dudes yeah (laughs) and the camera kind of like pans across all of them it's just like a bunch of dirty old men Uh, but it doesn't help that the way she's she's basically talking up jade as if she's the steven seagal of sex trade yeah Uh, (laughs) yeah that's not how it works uh, it's very, it's very strange. Yeah, and she's like, I really want to meet this Jade girl. She's just so, she's just so good at doing it. In the butt. She's so good at butt stuff. I, but, I, I look up to her. But then, like, but what sucks is, is now I've got that in my head as the viewer. So every time I'm seeing her like doing stuff, I'm like, is she doing butt stuff? Is this butt stuff here? Is Chaz Palmetto doing butt stuff? Um, <laughs> teardrop anal is not something you need to have in a in a movie. <laughs> I don't think it's a, absolutely it's not. not something you're uh, supposed I will to have. point out that Angie Everhart also has a and like I said, this this whole monologue feels it really does feel like something out of a Steven Seagal movie, where every Steven Seagal movie has to have that sequence. The best of which being on Deadly Ground, where they seemingly hired Arlie Aramy specifically for the purpose of just improvising cool things that steven seagal has done mm-hmm. to talk about um she she's like talking up jade and how good she is at butt stuff and she's like i mean i'm i'm into men mostly it's <laughs> like she's she's just so hot like I, I i gotta have her i gotta meet this jade lady uh okay so nothing Nothing else really interesting happens until we get to... I do want to talk about all the stuff that's in this fuckhouse real quick. So we've got... Um, <laughs> we've got uh, masks. We have these fertility masks uh, again. Uh, we have a dildo. We've got cameras all over the place. And drugs. And why... Oh, why, Trevor, did this detective not try this like just like put a little bit on his tongue you know how they always check the coke like he's got to just take like just break off a little piece it's like oh yeah it's ecstasy i know i know ecstasy he's just like eh, it's probably ecstasy or dick pills well see that's the thing is like you said this movie doesn't have an identity and if you're going to have this joe esterhaus script which is full of like beavis and butthead caliber dialogue um lean into it yeah I think Paul Verhoeven knew what to do with this material, where he's like, yeah, it's trash. Let's lean into the trash. Um, let's embrace it. 
Uh, but this one feels strangely muted. Be- but we still have these holdovers from earlier drafts where, like, during this sequence at It's a Fuck House. Um, like, they open a drawer and uh, they use the phrase jam and jellies and clitorifics. Oh, I didn't even get that. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like, who the fuck? Who talks like that, man? <laughs> but it's just, like, sprinkled throughout. It's It's not consistent. It's like... Remember, this was like starting to edge into Tarantino territory, mm-hmm. where it's like the the topical dialogue or the like reference heavy dialogue was starting to become a thing because his scripts were starting to get picked up and his film career was starting to move along. So like Esterhaus was probably kind of starting to slip out of the mainstream at this point, but this kind of smutty dialogue, I guess, was what producers were banking on because they were still throwing millions of dollars at him to get a hold of these screenplays. Jammin' jellies and clitorifics. Shit. <laughs> I'm in the wrong business, Kyle. Yeah. Ugh. Uh, <laughs> this dude's nasty. Um, let's talk about... Uh, so there is a car chase, and I remember I, I saw this. I'm like, oh, look at this shitty old Mustang uh, on screen. I'm like, that <laughs> thing is going to get destroyed. And, oh, I was right. This, this thing does. So I wanted to talk... This is a good segue into the vehicle stunts in this movie. Because if there's anything that you could praise in this, I think it's this. I think it's the... Anything with a vehicle is pretty great in this movie. I agree wholeheartedly. And remember, folks at home, neither Kyle nor I are car guys. Nope. Um, and I'm a, I'm a huge fan of action cinema. But car stuff is pretty smart. harder for me to appreciate. Yeah. Um, but I will point out that, uh, you know, I, I do have a dad who exposed me to movies like bullet when i was younger um so uh, what i'm getting at is san francisco car chases mm-hmm. are a long-standing tradition in hollywood history um so it stands to reason that it's like well i mean if we're gonna have a car chase we're gonna we have to go balls out otherwise we'll look pretty shitty like we'll, people will have expectations um and also uh sorcerer uh, is a William Friedkin film that is entirely based around transporting uh, hazardous materials, um, explosive materials, in a couple of rickety trucks through the jungle. Um, so, stands to reason that Friedkin maybe has some like second unit guys or stunt coordinator people, like that he's had long-standing relationships that would know their way around car stunts and whatnot. Um, but yeah, the the car stuff here is actually what makes me think. What makes me think Friedkin the most? Because I mentioned the word procedural. Um, and the way the car chases are conducted, and there's a pair of them, only one of which is long. Um, the way they're conducted, it feels very much his style. Where it's like, we're we're not going to cut out any time. It's like, we're going to show the, the grimy details of getting from point A to point B. Because there's all these extra steps that we we show the characters go through to like navigate the streets, um, that really add a lot of dimension to the choreography of the car chase. Like when uh, he loses the T bird and he has to go down the grassy hill, mm-hmm. like that was kind of neat. Where it's like it's not over yet. It's like I, I have to go down some rough terrain to to catch up to her, but I can still do it. And then uh, in particular, the Chinese street parade. Mm-hmm. Uh, that goes on and on and on, but it it works. Where it, there's a tension to it that that feels like something that in a different movie, a different faster paced movie, could have taken thirty seconds. Like it could have literally just been one beat where they drive through a fruit stand or something, and then we're done with that. But it's like no, 
we're gonna show these two cars like inch their way through a street parade and like all the hazards that that entails and and they don't shy away from showing that like this is a hazardous car chase man <laughs> like angie everhart gets her head run over twice um, and uh, a couple of street performers get run over too like their heads are split open i think my favorite part of the whole movie is david caruso's acting when he realizes his brakes are out him just i'm telling you dude i don't know how this steering wheel stayed on because he is <laughs> slinging it and slanging it and flipping it just trying it's pretty great uh trying to push the brakes on brakes at a broken car is pretty great but angie everhart uh her how did they do this can you tell me how they did this because this is one of the, I think this is one of the best uh, somebody getting run over in a in a movie that I've seen, and it's pretty it's pretty great. It's pretty great. This this is a good car crash. So I I want to say they put a stunt performer on a wire and yanked her. Okay, yanked them. Um, and uh, the second hit is most certainly a dummy. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's because, a very convincing. because they come back for more. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very convincing dummy. I was it saying, helps that she had the you know the big blown out hair. Yeah, like the. <laughs> married with children here, dude. Yeah. The Katie Seagal. <laughs> oh, I forgot to mention. Yeah, so when Angie Everhart just gives that whole mile, it is terribly executed. It is awful. It's just terribly acted the way she executes it. But yeah, she gets hit, and this is where this big chase is. And you're right. That scene through Chinatown is tense. Like, it takes a while. But we get to the docks, and I was as I was watching this scene, so he basically chases this car all the way down to the docks. And we get to this row, and it's literally like skid row but it's on a dock and there's just like a grot like just a big warehouse with multiple doors and he's just like okay i can't find this car so i'm gonna creep past these like 10 <laughs> fucking huge doors that are open and it's like pitch black in this warehouse and rule of three dude he goes past the first one nothing second nothing front of the third one nothing i'm gonna look over here at the water Boom! This fucking car comes out and just T-bones him. You can you can see it. I mean, you knew this was going to happen, right? You were, as you were watching it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was just like, can we get to it? Yes. <laughs> like, 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 we all know it's going to happen. Yeah. And by the way, second car crash that David Caruso is in in this film. Mm-hmm. He should be dead. From this car crash, he gets T-boned head on like this. This is this is how you die. <laughs> you get T-boned like this. Uh, but he, he does make it, obviously. Um, yeah, yeah, I actually don't know who uh, cut his brake wire. Like, is it supposed to be Michael Bean and the goon squad from the governor's office? Perfect question, because I wanted to segue into Michael Bean. So we have this whole weird thread where it's like, obviously it's the governor. He clearly has the most to lose. We have Holt talking. You see, there's a scene where David sees Michael Bean talking to Holt outside. There's another scene where Holt's inside talking to one of the other detectives or people who work for this office. I'm not sure what they're supposed to be because they all seem to be in the same office. Um, but yeah, Michael Bean also, I don't think, quite knows what he's supposed to be because, spoiler alert, he's the axe wielder in this fucking movie. Well, one of them at least. Yeah, he's the literal hatchet man in this film, um, and he's given zero motivation. No. Nothing. Um, presumably money? Uh, presumably. It's never confirmed. Yeah. Um, he gets into a fist fight with David Caruso at the end that easily 
they could have hashed it out, man. They could have talked that shit out because I would be really confused if my coworker showed up at my ex-girlfriend's house and you know was trying to fuck her in a in a broom closet i was gonna (laughs) what the fuck is happening so this is the governor of california he's not a representative or a or a senator he's a fucking governor like how much power does the governor really have that he could get a cop i guess have a cop a couple of cops basically working for him like this maybe it happens more than i than i'm aware of but it seems pretty silly but yeah there's no more like he's not like i'm gonna get a better job or like i'm gonna get paid like the governor doesn't have that much money like he's not gonna pay these guys well enough for them to do this so either it's either blackmail or like he does say he's like i'm the one that does the blackmailing nobody blackmails me but yeah uh and michael bean is also like He's trying to tell, um, he's trying to tell David. He's like, your girl Trina, like she's a part of this, uh, and he's right. She is involved. She may not necessarily know how involved she is, but it's pretty obvious that she's involved. And he also tells him at one point, he's like, okay, you now that we've confronted her with this, and she was with him with this guy that was killed the day of, you have to step away. And I'm like, yes, that actually makes the most sense. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> makes absolutely perfect sense in this. It's like, oh, you used to fuck her? Get off the case. You're like, off. how about you get how about you step aside? This is a conflict <laughs> of interest. And you can no That's what we call that, Kyle. Yeah. That's what we call that. Uh, By the way, I need to I need to get your take on this. Michael Bean's wardrobe in this mm, film. Yeah, no, it's was very, very distressing. <laughs> it was, it was jarring. Like it's just like, what the fuck is yes. he wearing? Like <laughs> it looks like Mister Rogers. I'm like, he should be. I think he looks as coolest in the abyss when he's just like in what I can assume is a very cold underwater facility, and he's just in a t-shirt or that t-shirt torn. <laughs> this whole wardrobe, that whole movie. Um, we can't forget that when we have this meeting. So we had the one meeting at the mansion with everybody where we're like, hey, we're just going to ask you some questions. She's like, yeah, uh, I knew him, but nothing really happened. And then we get to um, – it's not an interrogation, but it's just like now this is a formal sit-down. We have these photos, and also we have this video. And we have this confession from Angie Everhart that says you definitely do butt stuff. Uh, so – so now again, really well too. So <laughs> again, so now the director's like, no, 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 no. We have to keep this thread out there. Like we, we have to let them know, like she is Jade. Like we have to basically keep this going. Um, and now Linda Fiorentino's character is kind of like now I don't know what her deal is. Um, because after this, like, or before this, we have the cry, the weird cry sex. I think was that before or after this? Some sometime around here. It's around there. It's around here. It was very small. It's not terribly important. Like, by the time we get to the end of the film, it's strongly suggested that she is aware that her husband is fucking around, that Chaz Palminteri uh, is shopping his dick around town, and all the all the ladies like what they're seeing. Um, and she's aware of that, and it, she confesses to lashing out by sleeping with another man at least one time Mm -hmm. apparently that was the one instance that was filmed although it seems to be hinted that she when she confronts david caruso privately off the record she says she fucked a lot of guys yeah and this was the thing that she did very regularly um as the jade persona so it like we get two conflicting stories where it's like this is a habitual thing or it's her way of lashing out against her husband I'm not sure which is true, or if it's somewhere in the middle. 
Mm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I guess so. I guess we can just kind of talk about the end of the movie. I don't really have anything else about these these characters to talk about. But yeah, Michael Bean also just has yeah very strange motivation. We don't really know what his deal is, but at some point uh, after, so they have the weird cry sex. We learn that she's had sex with more dudes, and then Chaz Palminteri and uh, Fiorentino are about to do it, and she was just like, did you like to see those pictures, basically? And he's like, don't ever talk to me like that again. Like, it gets like, it's going to get serious. And then she leaves to go bang another dude? Where Where is, the like, this is the weirdest thing. Like, this cut to this other guy, this tryst, as you said. Um... I I read that as like something that happened in the past, maybe. Yeah, it's it's just it just it's like somebody fell asleep at the editing rig also, because it just appears. <laughs> also, she's wearing so she wears two outfits in this movie. She wears a uh, a uh, pant or dress suit, whatever it is, uh, ladies' dress suit, pantsuit, pantsuit. It's not pants. It's a, there's a skirt there, so it's a skirt suit, and then a black teddy. <laughs> The, the black yeah. teddy on the front of the box. So that messes yeah. with... And so it's confusing what time it is because she wears the black teddy when she goes over to David's and they almost do it. And then she's wearing the black teddy with Chaz. And then she's wearing the black teddy with this other guy. And then she's wearing the black teddy in the video. So it's the the timing is all off. But yeah, this is where she's... This is where we get... Somebody's taking photographs and maybe videoing it. So I want to tell the, to, to the listeners at home, if you look up the cover of this of this movie... You will see a woman kind of looking down with her arms up on the wall. What's happening is that she has got she has got her she has got her crotch right up on this dude's face, and she's like sta- like straddling his face on the bed. And they seem to be having a good time uh, while this is happening. But yeah, but then they're like kind of having sex, and then she freaks out and like slaps him around, and then she just kind of leaves. It's very strange. Yeah, we we have. We have a, a montage or a musical interlude mm-hmm. that just it, an intrusion almost that just it arrives in the film at this point, which I I've noticed the thing with James Horner's uh, scores throughout a lot of the 90s. He he has this thing where he likes to incorporate song into a lot of his scores. Um, you'll find a lot of his scores have like the main like the core melody um put to song like over the end credits or sometimes incorporated into the film itself uh, my heart will go on of, of course is the one that got all the critical and you know financial acclaim and whatnot um but here we have the mystic stream uh, by lorena lorena mckinnett which is like a new agey pseudo irish something or other um that plays over this whole montage where we do butt stuff and uh we put a like a, a nylon uh oh, pantyhose over her head. About the pantyhose. <laughs> that that was deeply unpleasant to look at and probably deeply unpleasant to perform. Very, very unsettling cut. It's very strange. Uh very <laughs> Yeah. Um but I think you may have been onto something with the portrayal of sexuality in this film, Val, where it's like it's meant maybe I don't think going so far as to be like judgmental of the viewer, but the way the sexuality is portrayed in this film, it's like we're always seeing it through filters, and whenever we actually see it play out on camera, 
it never seems to be fun. Well, like, like nobody seems to be really getting everything out of it. There's also that scene near the beginning of the movie where Fiorentino is in Los Angeles doing a talk, and she's like back at her hotel room, and she's like laying naked on uh, like the sofa on the phone, but you never see her face. She's looking out the window, and you can see her. You can see her naked, but she's leaving a voice a voicemail. She's leaving a message on the answering machine. <laughs> uh, Chad, Chaz Back is when you had to replace the tape. Yeah, it's a different, it's a totally different setup. Um, yeah, so she's like leaving a message there. That's probably the most pure moment of just like, oh yeah, you can enjoy yeah. that. You you can you can enjoy that part. Um, but yeah, this adds to that. But I I forgot about Angie Everhart's autopsy. We get, uh, we didn't need to see, like, I don't understand why we needed to see full frontal. Like, you could get that person from the side. Did you see Silence of the Lambs? You can get that shot from the side, dude. We don't need to see top. Yeah, so I've seen Angie Everhart topless a few times in my day. Uh, Bordello of Blood and uh, one of the substitute sequels Mm -hmm. starring Treat Williams. Uh, I think it was the third one, maybe. Uh, The one with Kyle, uh, Patrick Kilpatrick. I love that name. Uh, he's he plays he's a goon like he's a goon in virtually every 90s action film um this sequence was where i started where it really started to register with me that's like something is amiss like like the wrong people are working on this movie um and and what i'm getting at here is um the autopsy sequence in silence of the lambs uh jonathan demi uh, Demi, jonathan demi uh fantastic director also seems to have a penchant for being observational with the way he frames things where it's like he has his pov shots that um his cinematographer i forget his name he's japanese felt though um he uh it's his signature kind of uh, it's also incorporated into philadelphia where there's a lot of mm-hmm. pov shots a lot of people looking directly into the camera and kind of piercing your soul um he doesn't like glamorize or like make things overly theatrical i mean sometimes like elements of the score and silence of the lambs get a little like big and operatic and whatnot but the way that the way things are framed is generally very matter of fact like like hannibal lecter even though the music is kind of swelling when he's beating that that security guy or the officer with the nightstick love it it's just kind of you just kind of watch it happen it's not theatrical we don't get to see the details of the head splitting open and stuff but you know it's happening. It's very effective. Here, though, the autopsy sequence has, like, it looks like the set of Batman and Robin. Yes, the like lighting. It, it, it's cast in, It's cast in like, bluish purple lighting, and there's a little bit of, like, neon green highlights to it. This is not a medical examiner's room. Like, this is not a medical facility. This is something out of horror film, or a Joel Schumacher film, for yeah. that matter. And what I'm getting at there is... We have William Friedkin as the director, but the DP of this movie is somebody who I wouldn't expect this to mean anything to you, Kyle, but I am going to ask you to look him up because it's going to make you laugh. Mm. Um, this is, and I, I noticed this during the opening credits. It's, it's I think it's pronounced Andrew. Um, he's Polish, so forgive me. Very hard to pronounce a lot of these Polish names. It, I think it's Andrew Bartkowiak. Um he is a DP, uh, has worked on many a blockbuster film, but as a director, this man's career is the story of my life. <laughs> director of Romeo Must Die. Mm. Director of Exit Wounds, starring Steven Seagal, 
and DMX, director of Cradle to the Grave, starring DMX, Big as Life and Twice as Ugly, the main character of the film. Oh yeah, and Jet Li's there too. Director of Doom 2005, starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Director of Street Fighter Colon, The Legend of Chun-Li, aka maybe the worst video game movie ever made, which is saying a lot. And also director of Dead Reckoning, a really bad Scott Adkins film that started out as a teen romance film and they decided to just throw Scott Adkins in there just because. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, this is the man who shot William Friedkin's Jade, who lit William Friedkin's Jade. Uh, Tak Fujimoto is the uh, thank you. Yeah, cinematographer for. I knew some... I knew he was Japanese, yes. but I forgot his name. Yeah, uh, I just recently watched it, and just the framing. The framing in that movie is just, it's brilliant. And I actually it's noticed, beautiful. I noticed the music this last time, and I really like the score. And it's it's one of those movies where the score, I notice it, but it also really adds to it for me. Um, but Oh, it, it creates an atmosphere. Like when you first go to visit Lecter, when you're investigating the, the house where, you know, it's like, oh, how did he get into the house? <laughs> Stuff like that. Oh, it's great. I, what, it's fantastic. Better movie. <laughs> one thing that I did want to point out for Silence of the Lambs that I never really piece together until now the actors voices the they all have such unique uh deliveries in that movie and maybe it's just because it's an iconic film but like jody foster's got like an interesting voice and then anthony hopkins of course and then you've got you know buffalo bill and then what's the direct what's the uh jack crawford what's that scott act? glenn scott glenn like they he's got this like oh well, I call them monotone voice, but they all have very unique, interesting voices, and that's just something I found kind of interesting about that movie. I'm like, I wonder if that was on purpose or that just that just kind of happened. Um, Don't forget Anthony Heald. I was, I was about to say Anthony Heald too. I can't do an impression of him, so he's a little more difficult. Um, An island. <laughs> his face when he after Lecter says toughens your nipples, didn't it? His face when he looks at him. The fuck did you just say to this senator? Oh, it's great. Um, the Argonautica. <laughs> fucking so David and Gavin just kind of like, oh, she's about to die. We have to go save her. Like I there's I don't know how he pieces anything together other than he looks at the cufflink and is like, I I figured it all out, basically. Um but yeah, Trina goes home. The housekeeper it's like the housekeeper from Cape Fear. She is dead as fuck. Um <laughs> and then She's being chased by a guy with an axe, and from the silhouette, I'm like, that's Michael Bean. <laughs> I know that hair anywhere. That is oh, Michael fucking Oh, yeah. Bean. Oh, yeah. And as soon as he opens his mouth, they hold off like another two minutes before mm-hmm. they show the face. It's like, dude, I, it's Michael Bean. All day. <laughs> All day I could tell that's Michael Bean. Because uh, the way his hair is, it's just like, there's just a little sticking up. Like, you always just kind of tell, just a little sticking up. Uh, so yeah, he's chasing her with an axe, and then Holt is there. So it's very strange. So one of the other detectives is there. Chaz Palminteri has a gun because he's an Italian American in a movie in the '90s. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so he he ends up shooting Holt, or not shooting Holt. He shoots this other detective, uh, and they end up shooting Michael Bean. But then we have another meeting. Like Holt just, I think Holt fires a gun at them and it just like kind of goes away. And then we go have a meeting with yeah. the governor the next. It's very. Strange. I got really confused. Yeah. I got really disoriented by the editing uh, during the confrontation in the house because 
I think part of it is that one of the other detectives, his eyeline looks really similar to Holt. Mm-hmm. And at first, I, when he, I think he gets shot, and I know Holt was there, mm-hmm. so it was him and Michael Bean. They were both the bad guys. I think Holt shot the guy who looked like him. Ooh. And I got confused because I thought Holt got shot. Okay. But then he shows up later, and he shoots in the general direction of Chalice Palmentary. I don't think he hits him. No. And then you're absolutely right. Holt just kind of bamfs out of there. Like, like he just disappears without incident after that. It, it's truly bizarre. Uh, but yeah, David Caruso gets into a little bit of a fist fight with Michael Bean. Somehow he defeats him. I'm sorry, no. He's <laughs> tech com, sergeant. <laughs> Kyle Reese. I think he he's handled Terminators and Hunter Killers. I think he can handle <laughs> David fucking Caruso. Uh, uh, but yeah, somehow he bests him and he shoots him. Jazz Palmentary in two surprise ending movies in 1995, because he's also in The Usual Suspects. Um which is oh, kind of funny. Oh, oh. But yeah, so at this point, we're just like, well, obviously it's the governor because all these guys were going to be working with the governor. And then we go back to the governor's office and he's just like, eh, it's just some... Because uh, the big thing in this movie is also it's election time. Um, but yeah, he's just like, yeah, it's just some of my constituents that really just want me to be reelected. So it's kind of like one of those like, I did it, but I'm not going to tell you I did it. But you know that I did it. and There's nothing you can do about it. But it's really not even that scene. You know what I mean? This the script is like somebody went to a, a luncheon with the, the Cohen brothers and decided, hey, I think I want some of that in my movie. But they didn't quite know how to get some of that no. into their movie. But they tried their best because th- this is very much just like an anti-climax, like were any lessons learned kind of ending? No. Um, but it, it's unforgivably flat. Mm-hmm. Where it's like it does... it it. It leaves you dissatisfied in an ugly way, as opposed to a like, well, I told you a story, didn't I? Like, like sometimes the the journey is is all you're going to get out of the experience. But in this case, it's like, dude, if you're go- if if you're going to structure your movie this way, where we have people chasing people in cars that we never actually identify who the driver of the car is, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> uh, but yeah, then we just get this scene with Gavin and Linda. And he basically just admits to killing the millionaire for no, because reason, like he says reason. I don't even know what the reason is. It's like, cause you're my wife and you've, you banged him. I don't, yeah. I don't even know what the point was. He's, I guess he's supposed to be like dangerously possessive of her. Cause he, he like leaves the photos of her sleeping with the guy, like at her nightstand. Mm Mm-hmm. And then uh, we see as he's like futzing with his his jewelry that the cufflink yeah. is his, and it's it's telegraphed from the first ten minutes of the movie. They go to play squash at a at an anchor club, yeah. Like him and David Caruso, and it's like, duh, like like anchor. That's a really distinctive shape that never recurs in the film elsewhere. Obviously, it's going to be him. But yeah, we we get confirmation in the form of. The, the cufflink being missing from his jewelry box and then yeah he confronts his wife and he tells her like i killed him because you fucked him and he had to die because of that he said that the guy showed him the photos 
what kind of guy does that? Like, these are photos of me fucking your wife. You realize he's... Come over next week. We'll play Sega. I'm going <laughs> to show this Italian-American in the 90s that I banged his wife with photos. He looks like he's connected. This guy looks like he's connected to the mob somehow. I don't know how he's connected to the mob, but he's connected <laughs> to the mob somehow. I can tell you that much. We're in San Francisco. He's, atta- he's attached to the mob in some way. I'm going to show him pictures of his wife banging me. Jesus. Yeah, that seems like a smart move. Yeah, for real. Uh, you can threaten. You that's a man you can threaten. <laughs> it's like for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, he killed he killed the guy and then he throws her own words in her face by saying like I don't know what happened. I can't remember how I did it. I just uh, hysterical blindness or something. And then he uh, threatens her further by saying the next time we make love, you introduce me to Jade credits and then that song that i'm sure james horner really wanted to get an oscar for but he absolutely did not he had to wait a couple years jade (laughs) uh yeah that's i think that's it folks uh that was pretty not great i'm sorry that i picked that uh i don't have the best track Uh, you 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 didn't pick it kyle that was a mutual on our part i was curious too because we had both seen the 40 year old virgin yeah. and you know it's part of the genre we'd be curious to fill in that gap you know, like try to see where this one fits in it doesn't that's mm-hmm. the answer um i i have a guess and this is another movie i haven't seen so i have no idea i could i this is just a wild theory but the uh erotic thriller that you're on the hunt for that you're trying to track down could it be Poison Ivy? No, it's not Poison Ivy. Because you said there was a, a green motif, and I can see why Jade it was, would be something you would gravitate to it because was, of that. It was a green, like, it's like a flashback, and the flashback has kind of got a green hue to it, like the cover you of sure the You sure you weren't just watching Mortal Kombat again? I wasn't. There were boobs. Uh, there were <laughs> boobs in the green I mean, hue. Robin Shu does have some pants on him. <laughs> he is fit as fuck in that movie. Um, yeah, so oh, I forgot to mention. Uh, so unfortunately, t- uh, at least it was reported today that um, the, yeah, the, not the, the white and green Power Ranger, what was his name again? Jason David Frank, a.k.a. Tommy. Tommy. Uh, he passed away today, and uh, when you sent me the link to that, I saw Power Ranger, and I'm like, oh, God, something happened to Amy Jo Johnson. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't her, thank God. Um, it was him. But, yes, he has, um, he has moved on. But that was my initial thought today <laughs> was uh, something happened to Amy Jo Johnson. Um yeah, he's crossed over to the the great morphing grid in the sky. Yeah. Uh, Godspeed, Jason David Frank. You were an inspiration to us all. Yeah, dude. I ha- uh, the most positive human being I think I have ever encountered in in the world of Hollywood. I had his karate tape. I definitely had that um, when I was a kid. Uh, <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you for all you did. Uh, appreciate it, but yes. Uh, no, I I'm still on the search for that movie. Um, it's it's got to be late '80s. Or I'm sorry, it's got to be like a mid '90s uh, sexual thriller. I'm on the hunt for. I got to look for some more, but I'm not sure which one it is. Um, but yeah, I'll I'll find it. But yeah, this was uh, underwhelming to say the least. Don't watch it, folks. Uh, you can watch anything else <laughs> with Chaz Palminteri in it. But this this is probably the worst. <laughs> 
Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. If you're doing a survey of erotic thrillers, much like we are, uh, this is one you can you can skip over without missing much of anything. Oh, you won't know. Uh, there's a lot of talent involved. There's a lot of talent involved in the film, obviously, like just based on all the names we've rattled off and stuff. But I, I hate to say it, but I, I think William Friedkin uh, combined with... A DP who worked on Species and Romeo and <laughs> directed Romeo Must Die, um, and a lot of Steven Seagal movies. Probably not the the right match. Plus the Joe Esterhaus script. Probably not the right framework to build from. I will point out that uh, William Friedkin is proud of this film. He does speak highly of it, um, but it is not his best work. It's mm-hmm. kind of sad that this is part of his filmography because. Of all the movies we talked about this month, this is so far the only one I can point to and straight up just say this is a bad movie. Mm-hmm. Um, really doesn't have much value to it. Um, but yeah, uh, that being said, um, thanks for listening to our review of Jade from 1995, directed by William Friedkin. But in the meantime, um, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other Catching Up on Cinema content, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find us on the social medias in the form of the Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as the Twitter. Maybe still remains to be seen uh, at Catching Cinema, <laughs> uh, and you can you can also find the show on pretty much every podcasting platform you can imagine, including Bitcade. So fucking Google it. Google it. And that being said, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Do it in the butt. Jade.